back to the Football Index podcast, episode 87, and I'm joined by yet another double act, and this time it's two debutants rather than returning acts. So first off, I'm joined by Yavi, Football Index Twitter community. Most of you will know him by now. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you, mate. How are you? I'm very well. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit more about yourself, a bit more about your uh, background, and a bit more about how you found Football Index, what your Football Index journey has been like that, until this point? So um, it's probably hard for a lot of people to believe on Twitter that I do actually have a job and I, <laughs> I, I am employed. I'm not just uh, one of those keyboard warriors, although it might not seem it sometimes, as the Don referenced last week. So I work for a tech firm in the city as an account manager. And I was just going about my day, listening to my podcast, my James Richardson podcast about a year or so ago. And there was lots of football index adverts and didn't really pay massive amounts of attention at first. But then it was on pretty often, once a week. And I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to download it, just see what it's about. And I enjoyed gambling um, a while ago and then kind of lost the love for it because it's a very quick win, quick lose buzz in terms of the traditional gambling platforms. So I th- thought I'd download it, see what it's about. And I asked a couple of my other friends who who were also well into it at the time. And they said, oh, it's just easy money. It's just easy money. You just deposit and all the players just go up. And I thought, okay, well, if it's, if it's that straightforward, let's just do it. So had a look at it, deposited some money. I think it was the £500 risk-free at the time as well. So I thought, well, if I don't like it, I can always get out. Bought my favorite players. Um, no real thought process behind it. Just had a look at the top 100. Bought some of my favorite players. and. That was it, really, and just saw my money dwindle down. <laughs> um, <laughs> it just went very quickly, and not obviously. I didn't lose like the entire five hundred pounds I deposited at the time, but it was slowly going minus one, minus two, minus three. And I thought, okay, this isn't the easy money that I was promised. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, yeah, this isn't for me. I'm getting out. I'm done here. And I think a large part of it was at the time because I was sort of sold this dream by my friends that it was so straightforward to do and all you'd see is the players go up that it would be that straightforward. I stopped after about a month, but I felt a bit of a void because I checked my phone pretty much, you know, every couple of hours. And once I just withdrew all my funds, didn't really have that connection to it whatsoever Mm. and didn't really have that urge to go on or anything like that. So I felt that void there. And then I thought, right, there's got to be some sort of content out there about this. So went on YouTube, saw your content, went on the official site, um, just tried to get a little bit more of a bearing as to um, Mm. what the platform is, how it works, and build up more of an understanding and not just be as emotive. I mean, I think um, some of my earlier tweets are very, very disparaging towards, towards Football Index, and it's purely because I just didn't understand the platform, to be completely honest with you. And they've come back to haunt me in their droves, I have to say. But I think kicking on from, I'd say, 12 months ago to now, I think, so in terms of my portfolio, it's probably a mid-sized portfolio. It's nowhere near the size of the Dons and the Pandas of this world. It's good to get the blood flowing, I'd say. (laughs) I operate more in the mid to the top end. I think it was just pre-share split when I tried to take it more seriously. That's when those players were flying and the numbers mm. were going up and it was great. But then post share split, there was the top end crash almost, <laughs> give or take, because of obviously the youth taking over. And I think that's around about the time where I realized, right, you need to try and have as much of a diverse portfolio as possible. Mm. And it, me with my personality, you know, the way that I am, it's, it's very all or nothing. So 
I basically went and built my entire portfolio quite recently around Media Buzz. And it's been great for dividends, except Delict. We'll talk about that later. Um, but for, all, for example, all the other players have you know, bought in great dividends, but I've seen their price crash like the Pogba's of this world and so on and so on. So for me, more than anything now, it's just to try and have a diverse portfolio. And I'm one of those people who's the, the biggest sucker in the world for an instant sell. And that is a killer. That is a, that's been a, mm. an absolute killer to my, to my profit and to the growth of my portfolio. And the other side of it for me has always been about patience. I'm a very, very impatient person in real life. And I think when it comes to football index, if you're impatient, you're going to suffer so, so much. Through all of that, I'm still up, <laughs> which is, which going back to the dream that I was sold by my friend of, um, you know, you can make money quite easily. It's still the case. And I think where the platform's going, okay, it will eventually get to a point where market caps and stuff like that. But I think we're in such a growth phase that providing you, are, you do have that patience and you are willing to invest that time and learn from mistakes and not instant sell based on a random article on a Tuesday when you're at work and you just panic and just shift a load of Pogba, for example, uh, like I did after, this, <laughs> after the Solskjaer story. That- well, well, we'll get into that a little bit yes. later, I think, because there is a question specifically about that. Oh, I yeah, wanna, I can imagine. I just want to ask uh, James, otherwise known as Soccer Index, who I met at the latest Trader Meet the quiz. We were in a team together, actually. Um, myself, yourself, uh, Football Index AB or Analysis, Joel. And we did pretty well. I think we came away with a signed Gareth Bale shirt. Obviously, I didn't take that home as an Arsenal fan. And I think we did quite well in the quiz, but somehow, some way, our uh, score got lost in the fire, according to the FI guys. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what went on. Um, we essentially thought we'd answered everything. We were pulling answers out of anywhere, weren't we? I think one of them was, uh, <laughs> we remember that Carlos Roa lost a testicle, but that wasn't the reason why he retired. Um, he was a seventh day, um, something or other, where he uh, thought the world was going to end and uh, ran away, but... <laughs> I still think something went on with the, the I'm skeptical about the accounting, but you never know. Mm. Well, if Tom or uh, Alex or any of the guys from FI list are listening, then uh, please try and find that those quiz scores. <laughs> but James, why don't you tell us a bit more about your background and your football index journey before we get into the plethora of questions that we got asked? Because I kid you not, this is the most questions we've ever been asked on the show. Right, we'll get cracking then. So I've got a bit of a different background to probably quite a few of the typical football index type person i've essentially never really gambled at all in my life so i'm the type of person who would I went to like vegas for a weekend and pretty much not gambled at all i just don't really i've never really been interested in it i've done a bit of match betting but essentially i don't i've never really had any sort of gambling background at all um i've always done like fantasy football and i've done pretty well in the past on that so it was around december 2017 as the platform was growing quite a bit, it was all over tube adverts. And uh, I kind of just thought that I'm pretty good at fantasy football. I've got to at least have a little go at this. Um, so there was a deposit bonus at the time. So I think I put about £500 in. And yeah, so after about a month, I was up a fair bit without a clue what I was doing, really. I would just, you were just buying people left, right and centre. But you kind of got a gist of how the market moved. I did quite a bit of research on what was going on. A lot of your podcasts helped me out at the start. And then, mm. so I went to the trader meet with uh, Lex Van Dam, which was when they started to have quite a few of those trader meets. And suddenly you got thrust a 20% bonus in front of your face. And then you kind of think, right, well, let's give this a proper go. So then I started to put um, 
I think, yeah, it was 20%. So if you put, say, uh, 5,000 in, you've then got a 1,000 back. And I just thought, let, let's, just, let's just give it a go and see how it goes. I saw the World Cup as like a real growth point. So I kind of felt that let's see how this goes. And yeah, so it kind of got to after the World Cup. And yeah, I was still a fair bit up. Again, I, I went to a few more of the trader meets. And that was when I probably started to put a little bit um, sort to up the deposits. We had a few more deposit bonuses in the summer. And yes, yeah, so here we are now. There's been just absolutely loads of growth with the product. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's great. And I think there's so, so much more to come with it. Amazing. Amazing. Well, uh, I think we should get on to with the questions. But before we do, I just want to plug uh, the Bank Builder series. Uh, season two, episode two out on YouTube now, if you guys want to check that out. From 70 quid up to about 82. Not amazing gains, but if you look at it percentage-wise, it's, you know, almost 20%. And I do want to plug one more thing. I mentioned on the last episode a few things about sleep and how that podcast with Joe Rogan really opened my eyes as to how important sleep is. Amazingly, someone on Twitter, I think it's someone called Index Jerry, uh, Jerry Cheshire, uh, (laughs) said to me, oh, hey, heard your podcast. Obviously, I'm an FI user, but I'm also a bit of a sleep expert, and I've written a book on sleep. He sent me his book. It's called Sleeping Blissfully, How to Make the Most of a Third of Your Life by Jerry Cheshire. So thanks very much for sending me that over, man. Uh, I'll be sure to read it. And if you guys are looking to up your sleep, then please do uh, have a look at that book. Thanks very much, man. But we'll move on to the question. Jay Nichols, question for both. Who is your favourite contestant on Love Island? Well... For me, I watched the uh, the very first episode. The only one of all of them that sticks to mind is uh, the one that says Bev all the time. <laughs> I'd just like to say to my missus that I'm not saying she's my favourite, just the one that I just remember, <laughs> just for that one saying. <laughs> no comment then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not from me, no. <laughs> I'm the same. I watched it all last season and I watched the first two episodes this season. I, it just wasn't really uh, wasn't really doing it for me this time around. Um, but apparently someone's someone who looks like Rick Carlson's come on, uh, Yavi. Is is he not your favourite? A little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Well, do you know, I didn't really notice him looking like him until I saw, I think it was a meme or one of the pictures on, on Twitter, and I thought, this is the fraud version. I, I can't back him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, that guy does look a lot like Ricarlison, Uh weirdly. That is really weird. But uh, we'll move on to uh, more FI-related things. Yavi, when you were talking about your friends getting you into FI, you kind of cited number going up quite <laughs> quite a lot yes. and i think uh, a question from index complex he says it wasn't long ago yavi was a meme account crying about fi being a scam slash ponzi slash pyramid scheme what's changed his mind regarding the index so go through your thoughts at the start when you did think that it was a scam a ponzi scheme a pyramid scheme and and what's changed your mind probably my ignorance to it I have to say, because I was um, completely expecting to just put money in and just see it go up and relatively quickly as well, um, didn't really do any sort of background work on it. And the money that I did put in, I was just seeing it slowly dwindle away. And you know what? Sometimes you have to hold your hands up and say, that was my error. It It was my mistake. And I'm glad I had that moment where when I did pull out all my money and said it was a Ponzi scheme and a pyramid scheme and stuff like that, I actually thought to myself, okay, I've stepped away from it. Probably not really given it, probably not really given it much of a opportunity. And definitely from my side, not really understood the product and its nuances and stuff like that. And really having that sort of gap in terms of, you know, wanting to check my phone and wanting it to be 
something that's football related and that you can make money from, I thought, do you know what? I think I've probably been a bit hasty here. And then that's when I went out and looked for content such as yours and just tried to understand the platform more so before picking and choosing the players that go in my portfolio. And to be honest, it's completely changed my mind. And the reaction that I have when I sell it to my friends now is, look, don't make the mistakes I did. Don't think that it's a quick win situation. I mean, I know people you know, flip and can make money quickly out of it. But if you look at like the, most of the player graphs, all you see is over the year that they've doubled and, tri- and trebled in price. Not necessarily saying that that's, gonna, that's a guarantee to continue, but the patience of a 90-minute match bet or a first goal scorer match bet Aside from the the in-play dividends and stuff like that, this is a far longer process. And at the very beginning, probably, I mean, from my mate who sold it to me, um, didn't explain that side of it, but he'd been on it a while and just probably expected me to, to have got it. Fast forwarding till now, you learn from your mistakes so much when it comes to FI. Unfortunately, some of them I still make now through being a little bit emotive, as you could probably tell from my, <laughs> from, from my Twitter. <laughs> Um, sorry that the emotive thing just got me a little bit, uh, James. Uh, James um, what what about you? Like, did you have any reservations at the start? Did you have a similar thought process to Yavi, or were you pretty uh, certain this was, you know, pretty reliable and sustainable so from the off? I so yeah, with everything you can, you do kind of raise raise your eyebrow. You think, um, how is this growing? So I, as I said, I joined in sort of at the start of two thousand eighteen. So I kind of saw the World Cup as like, this is the big thing it's all le- leading up to. At the end of a World Cup, I started to reduce my kind of, I made a bit of profit. So I kind of uh, reduced my balance a bit during the World Cup because I thought, let's see how successful it was for them at the World Cup. You kind of came out the other side of that and then it just started to absolutely, absolutely fly. And you just gained more and more confidence with where it's going when you got, so the, the football adverts with John Motson, you start to see it come on to, screens and then I guess after the World Cup and like the exposure of it it was getting and more and more users coming in I just got the impression it was going well for them and it was obviously going well for the users and so sat here now you can almost I can only see it growing I mean I think sort of I think in about three five years time you kind of saw how FPL grew from almost being you know like fantasy football there you know data people who got really into it at the start then more and more your mates started to join. Now, I guess when you're in a pub, everyone's going, oh, who got the assist or who scored that? Oh, God, he's he's in my team. He's been sent off. And I think in about two or three years' time, I think we'll get to the point where he scored off. Or do you have shares in him? That type of thing. And you think there's just so much growth potential. I think there's like the sky's the limit now. And I almost don't have the initial thoughts of this, this could go down the pan type of thing. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, those are good thoughts to have at the start, especially if you're kind of like alert and can kind of learn the platform quite quickly. It's going in with that mindset that this is going to be a, a great thing in the next two to three years or whatever. I think it can lead you to being maybe slightly more aggressive with kind of the capital you put in and how you bet it. But with that, obviously, you, there's more risk, but you can obviously stand to gain a lot more. I think the next section we're going to talk about and, you know, moving swiftly on because I'm conscious of time is going to be about the PB matrix and kind of the survey that was sent out by FI. I think it would be silly for us to not talk about that. So we had loads and loads of questions, obviously, from this. Samuel Gert, following the PB survey, what are your hopes and expectations for any adjustments to the scoring matrix? 
F.I. Sadler, given the PB scoring matrix survey recently, please can you talk about your own feedback? Football Index Spyro, with the likely changes to the PB matrix, what would you like to see play a bigger role in the scoring system? I think it would just be a good idea if we just kind of went through the survey ourselves and, and kind of answered it one by one. So the first question was, do you think our point scoring system fairly reflects footballers' in-game success? And one being not at all, five to six being somewhat, and ten being completely. So, Yavi, why don't you start us off? What, what did you think? I think it does t- uh, to a degree. I mean, you're always going to get, you know, sort of disparities when, you know, a player scores a hat trick in, in an important game and they don't win the PB of the day or anything like that. And it, it, I can see the frustration from that side. I've seen a lot about, you know, game winning goal. Does it carry too much weight? Doesn't it carry too much weight? For me, listening to one of your pods and understanding that the background as to all of the different sections that go down into for example just that category and why you get so many points for it i think it, they could probably get it closer to bit to reflecting you know what happens on mm. the pitch a lot more I just digress ever so slightly i mean from a new user point of view when i first joined and i saw some of the players towards the, the very very top end the top five top 10 top 20 and i was thinking to myself what are they doing there <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it can be off-putting from that point but i think and, the, and i go back to the point that you want the best players being towards the top of, of mm. any matrix. And I, want, I, I personally want it to reflect what happens on the pitch more when it comes to PB. And I think you've mentioned that in previous pods as well. well why don't we put a number on it, Yavi? What did you put for this one between one uh, and ten? So I put seven for that one. Yeah. Because definitely yeah. room for growth. Yeah, I think if I was going to go for a very specific number, it would be between six and seven, probably like a 6.5, 6.75. Yeah. I'd James? also go seven. I think... It's never, ever going to be perfect like because everyone's got their own opinion. Um, it's so never going to be, never a, 10, gonna be yeah. a 10. And I think you're being harsh if you're sort of saying it's three or four because I think it realistically is, it does to a certain degree reflect performance on the pitch. I guess there's two schools of thoughts of this. So you've got, you can't change the bet. The bet's been made. So some people will argue, let's not make any changes. Other people will go, it doesn't really reflect, as you say, like potentially some of like the best players in the world and not quite benefiting from the matrix. I don't think it's too bad, Mm. but I think what they need to do is just tweak it ever so slightly, gradually, as we go on. Mm. Um, And we'll go into that a bit, I guess. Yeah. The next question from them was, do you think our point scoring system fairly reflects footballers' in-game success in the following positions? So for top forward, what did you guys put between 1 and 10? Again, I think for, for most of these... I'm going to be probably seven across the board. I think it's not, it, yeah. it, to a degree, it's right, but not perfect. But it, I, I think it's bucketing them in positions is quite tough. I think it's more very yeah, specific exactly. situations that lead to a player scoring really high when they don't particularly play very well or just because they take loads of set pieces is probably maybe more of something that FI need to look at rather than kind of saying, right, all defenders are the same, all midfielders are the same, and all strikers are the same, because it's not, right? You've got uh, forwards, sorry, that could be wingers that get more involved in play, and you've got number nines. It's much more contingent on whether or not they score goals as to whether or not they're going to win performance buzz. So I think bucketing them in in those kind of larger um, categories is pretty tough if you're trying to get feedback. The next question was, uh, we pay our match day dividends on the top five European leagues, the Champions League and the Europa League. Is there any other competitions you'd like to see included in our, in our match day rankings? Like, I mean, if Football Index were to really rock the boat by changing the matrix, I mean, this would be even 
crazy, yeah, I've got pretty right? strong views on this. It's bad enough when um, sort of a French league uh, random defender pops up with a uh, two two goals and wins star player when a uh, on a random Sunday <laughs> when there's so many games on. I think the worst thing they could do is I've seen a few suggestions of like the Dutch and Portuguese leagues being added in. It would just completely flood the the market, and we don't need that at this stage or even at all in the next couple of years. So I've got pretty strong views. I think don't add any more leagues. Um, certainly don't want to add. I think some people have said, oh, under-21 World Cup. Um, again, I don't agree with that. I, I quite like the idea of the Dutch leagues, the under-21s being part of the speculation, which I guess we might cover later on. So I would say the only thing I would like to see added is they might want to have a look at internationals, so competitive internationals, especially with, I mm. presume, they're going to do something with the Euros. So maybe... So I yeah, think they should you, you probably so, yeah. maybe start to look, but you don't want to then ruin the treble media days. So again, they're going to have to look at that. So I would say internationals um, maybe do, if they wanted to be really creative, do like a cup special, but I would absolutely keep those separate from the main five leagues. And I think they just focus on that. Yeah, I mean, like even if they did say we've got the Copa America, the Africa Cup of Nations, the Under-21s tournament, you could... You know, theoretically, do specific PB payouts for those competitions. There's no reason why FI couldn't do it. It's just whether or not they want to cough up the money to get the data for those things. Yada yada yada. What about you, Yavi? What are your views on this question? I think where the product is at the moment, um, five leagues is sufficient at the moment. I definitely think growing in terms of international tournaments right now would be great. Um, me staying up to four in the morning watching Brazil Bolivia. It'd be great to actually have some uh, some PB added to that uh, rather than than just the cap appreciation side of things. I think if if it is to grow as a platform, you might need if you're looking to get other markets involved um, and take the product across Europe. It'd be very strange for uh, let's say, for example, you do launch the product in Portugal and their league's not included to to sell the product there. And I'm probably looking way down the line when it comes to this sort of thing. But as a as a sort of a, an immediate short term international tournaments. Cop America, Gold Cup, African Nations Cup, as a mass appeal, it would probably be a big win very quickly for them. Again, like you said, how easy is that to integrate? I'm not necessarily sure in terms of um, getting the data side of things, but I think if for me personally, we'll probably go on to speak about this, I think MB is the thing that actually needs to be opened up, but mm. I'm sure we'll touch on that. Yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll touch on MB later, and I think we talked about it quite a lot on the pod last week as to whether that's actually potentially more broken than PB scoring matrix. Question four was, what do you like about the current point scoring system? What would you like to not be changed? So what do you guys like and what do you think doesn't need a change? If it was me, I would just keep the matrix as it is as a starting point. I would say this is what it is and then make gradual tweaks off the back of that. So if you, so I think if you kind of drastically scrap the current matrix and start from, start from like ground zero, I think it's just going to potentially cause a, it could be rocky in the market. So I would actually just keep the matrix as it is and then make iterations based on the current matrix. I think the main talking points game winning goal for me, I've got a feeling that FI quite like having that in um, just because it, it's all yeah, good and well, like yeah. going, oh, let's take that out because it means that it's harder to predict. But I just think that that's something that they deliberately put in and it does kind of add that little buzz or you get that last second swing where someone scored or wiped out a game-winning goal and it does add that like kind of excitement to when you're watching the game in the last minute. It's it's never really over until the final whistle. So 
I think that's got to stay, whether people like it or not. I think you know what's going to happen as well. If there is a, a mass restructure, people are going to go crazy. They're going to say, well, we preferred it how it was. We set out a portfolio to be more related to the previous one. Um, they always miss what they don't have. So I think I agree with James. In terms of a few tweaks here and there to build on what they already have in place would be far better than a complete restructuring of it from you know, ground zero upwards, I'd say. I'm going to try and challenge both of you, right? If FI tweaked it, say, 15% four times, is that better than FI tweaking it 60% all in one? And with the caveat that if you did tweak it 60% in one, you could also increase performance buzz, media buzz, dividends, and give users a deposit bonus. So those with, say, a million in the platform wouldn't actually lose any value, technically speaking, or theoretically speaking. Do you guys see where I'm coming from? Do you not see that as like a more logical thing to do if there's enough reasoning, if there's enough like coherent communication behind it, like FI did with how MediaBuzz was going to be opened up to the whole platform? If it was done in a similar way, like, look, we know it's broken. We want it to reflect, you know, on pitch performance as well as we can. And we want it to be intuitive for new users. Therefore, we're changing it by 55%, but we think that only like, I don't know, X amount of PB wins would have been changed. However, caveat, we're also going to increase PB dividends by that much and MB dividends though that much and the deposit bonus to boot. I don't know what they could do. But for me, if it was one thing rather than like three or four iterations, it's going to lead to, you know, less outrage uh, like over the longer term. If it's short-term or slight short-term pain in one go for longer-term gain, and it's maybe not necessarily communicated in that way, but it's done in, in a way, there's the advantages and disadvantages from both sides. Me personally, I'd probably prefer to see the four lots of 15% rather than one lot mm-hmm. of 60 because with FI in terms of, the, I can imagine, their architecture of their platform and things like that, they're still learning a lot from all the different aspects of it. Sure. So can we 100% categorically trust FI to get a 60% swing done, you know, in however many time and communicate it and keep the outrage to a minimum and all of those things? I suppose that's down to each individual to answer. But me pers- <laughs> personally, I would rather see the gradual buildup of a change rather than a big bang overnight. I think whatever happens, whatever they change, it is the communication element is like, that absolutely needs to be right. And I think it's not what it is almost, it's, it's how they go about communicating it. IPDs, for example, they were a great addition, but the way it was communicated was a complete car crash. So that meant everyone was basically pissed off when IPDs got put in, when in fact, actually, if they'd communicated that in the right way, say they did with the share split and the, the change to media buzz with the top 200, that went so much better. So I would be inclined to think, yeah, if they wanted to change it by like 40, 50, 60%, and yeah, if they put a deposit bonus, basically, what, whatever they do, would the average person be like pissed off? And would their portfolio go up or down based on the changes that they've made? If they're going to use it as an opportunity to yeah, increase dividends, then I think that would be absolutely perfect. So if we sort of said at the start of the season, yeah, they're going to change the matrix quite a bit, but on average, maybe put dividends up by 20%, then no one's going to be complaining with that, are they? Mm, mm. The next one, and I think this is the final one, if you could change one thing about the current point scoring system, what would it be? For me, I would love to see tiered PB. 
I know that's a hot topic when it comes to football index. And it's probably for my own personal interest ever so slightly because, you know, you, you want to see the top end uh, grow. But for me, it's that. And I, I know Adam Cole has come out and said that that's probably not going to happen. But yeah, I think tiered PB should, should be the future. I'm inclined to think that they just don't want to do tiered PB. I would probably, if you're thinking about it from like, again, the gambling or the excitement perspective going into that 90th minute, I think FI would prefer to just have, say, rather than have a third of the dividends put between three players, they would prefer to just go, well, let's make it a bigger payout and it would probably cause more volatility. And I just think you've got to sometimes look at it from their perspective. Would it be good if they just literally had, you know, paying out three players every week and it would benefit those players who score quite highly every week? I just think from that, if you could mm. look at it from their perspective, I mean, I don't know, it might, it, you tier PB, it might cause a lot of money flooded in and it might benefit them, but I've just got a feeling that that won't happen. Um, I guess going back to the original question, I just think they should just look at what makes it, what players are not benefiting in the moment. And I think adding little things like key passes, making assists a little bit more, second assists, which often aren't really considered as part of the game. So you got like a deep playing mm. playmaker who makes like a really good through ball and then the striker squares it to the other striker. And they get absolutely nothing for that, so they don't get the key pass, they don't get like the second assist. And I think key contribution. that really gets missed out in the current matrix. Um I think dribbles yeah. it, I think everyone really likes, you know, the exciting players on the wing. If they kind of got benefit from doing successful dribbles and maybe even potentially punished for doing like for giving the ball away like unsuccessful dribbles, I would add that in. Yeah. And then I think we've touched on it in the past. I think adding some sort of multiplier for a second and a third goal to maybe benefit those number nines mm. um, who maybe score four goals in a game <laughs> but still uh, fall short from a, hi- a high baseline player who gets a, a game-winning goal. Um, I think they should add a little multiplier in there. And then the last thing would be, if yeah. they are going to do all those, then they need to make sure that maybe defenders and, say, keepers as well aren't completely not getting the benefits. So they need to kind of decide what makes a good performance for a defender as well. And maybe if it, that's like more blocks where challenge duels won or headers won or you know maybe not so if defenders kind of were not benefiting from any changes then they've got to kind of look at that to make sure it's kind of spread across all the positions as well yeah i think we had a little chat about corners and crosses before we started the podcast statistically corners are football's least effective set piece and are in a worrying state of decline and this is all according to a TIFO football video I watched uh, this morning. Since 2000, across Europe's big five leagues, they have led to a goal just 3.3% of the time. Four in 10 corners don't clear the first man. 16% result in an attempt on goal. Just 7% end up on target. And perhaps most damningly, only one in every 100 leads directly to a goal. And if you look at the PB scoring matrix at the moment, you get three points for an attempted cross and five points for a corner one. So if you're someone who takes corners and you're consistently putting in bad corners that go to you know the first man, like four in 10 corners that don't clear the first man, let's say half of those end up in another corner, which they quite often do, you're looking at a player who might actually be bad at crossing, be good for PB or, according to the scoring matrix. So I think whilst I kind of agree to some extent, James, that It'd be nice if we weren't to do any changes, but stuff like that and stuff like 
um, you know, needless possession is just sideway passing, for example, especially in your own half, I think is probably rewarded too much. I can't think for a crazy reason how a final third pass is weighted the same amount of points as a pass from goalkeeper to right centre back. So for me, those two things, if we're talking about tweaks, the crossing, I think that needs to be looked at, you know, for some of the stats that I've just put out. It just makes absolutely no sense that just because you take corners, because that's literally it, because the variance between someone being good at corners and bad at corners won't actually be that great, if that makes sense. If someone takes corners and there are a high volume of those, they are likely to rack up points, which I think is just stupid because it just leads to an exceedingly high baseline for someone who (laughs) actually isn't doing their job properly. And according to these statistics, corners aren't really even that important anymore. So I think it's a bit nutty how uh, that is such a a big factor in, in FI because a lot of people talk about oh, he's on set pieces, he's on both corners, therefore he's good for PB. And now we're used to it as in a community and as a kind of platform, the prices are reflectant upon that. But if we're looking at it logically, you look at the stats, it is a bit crazy, isn't it? It sounds very similar that those stats are based on <laughs> Ashley Young. <laughs> apparently Ericsson is the worst uh, offender oh, wow. in terms of front post corners. Apparently he hits them like 60 or percent or so. You wouldn't expect that from him. Because the type of player and the type of delivery you'd expect from a player like Ericsson, you'd think that it'd be more on the money, let's say, an Ashley Young, not to bash his <laughs> price or anything. You know, the, the scenario where a corner taker hits the first man not sort of like six times in a row and you, it's boring everyone on the uh, watching the game on the TV. And uh, yeah, it's probably racked up probably 50 points from her. Just effect- which, is, which is more effect- than a effectively goal. wasted it in our time. Um, so I think, yeah, that's completely right. I think, yeah, wipe out corners, basically. Let's just wipe that out. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure if that's the solution, but but let's see what they maybe they they'll tweak something on that. But I do don't generally agree with with you, James. You know the dribbles, the key passes, final third passes is something that I'd like to to see added. Long passes potentially, um, key passes, chances created, big chances created. There's so many things that they could add, and I think the more of these stats that you have added, although it makes it more complex, it makes it more granular, uh, less likely that the wrong person wins. If that makes yeah. sense. We got any more comments on the scoring matrix in general? Some of the questions that we got thrown at us in that direction? That's it from me, yep. That's it from me. Okay, moving on. FI Momentum, what are Yavi's thoughts on Mason Greenwood? So I know this is directly talked to, you know, we're talking about a specific player here, but maybe speak a little bit about him and more kind of like why you kind of bash said player. So... The first thing I want to say before anything is a lot of the people know that I'm a Man United fan and you wouldn't expect any less from someone living in London to support Man United. And before anyone says, I have been to Manchester multiple times and seen United play. So let, let's get that out of the way to start with. No one wants to see a Man United player succeed more, especially a young one, than me, especially with the state that United are in at the moment. Now, Mason Greenwood is a really good example of a player that I mentioned earlier when you're new to the platform and you go on there and you think, okay, I'm looking at the top 20 and scrolling down and I'm, you know, I'm new to it and I'm interested to see who's at the top and why they're at the top. And when you see a player, for example, like Mason Greenwood, who hasn't achieved or had the opportunity to achieve, to be fair to him, in the first team of Man United, in the Premier League, in the Champions League, although I know we don't have that next season, you wonder what a player without any real evidence that they can produce at that level is doing in the top 10, 15, 20, all the way up, I'd probably say to 50 to 100 footballers in the world. So I can completely understand from the point of view of people or traders who got on early um, and saw the potential and let's say 
bought him sub one pound. But for him to be upwards of three pounds, to me personally, I think it's madness, just from a new trader point of view. Now, that is a lot of faith based on very little, or should I say minimal, when it comes to the level that he should be playing at. And it's my wider view on young players in the way that I personally would rather wait to see them perform in Premier League matches or in Serie A matches in the league that they're meant to be performing in and pay a little bit more of a premium for them because I've seen them perform at that level. And I, th- I think that they'll have a career when they wear and when they should. So the Mason Greenwood, although obviously, you know, I've dragged his name through the mud <laughs> on Twitter, that, 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 that is my wider opinion of him uh, in a more balanced way, shall we yeah, say. Yeah, I guess you kind of have the... His value is like, yeah, madness as well. I think, you know, I don't even know what it is. Is it three pounds type thing? Is that? Mm, I think it is. Yeah. I think it is about there or thereabouts. I mean, he's the 14th, 14th most expensive player at three pounds 24. Yeah, I get, I, and he's 48p cheaper than Rashford as we're speaking. I guess if you do, I mean, I don't own him. 58. But if you do kind of look at it from the market's perspective, um, if you're looking like other markets, I guess speculation's like part of every market you go in and we're going to get mm. that and it's kind of often frowned upon for going off oh, for god's sake why is this guy's price flying and he's done nothing to deserve that or what dividends has he returned and you get a lot of people hate hating that kind of side of things but it does also create that is he the next big thing and uh like the excitement around oh let's find the next year felix um and i think that part side of a market some people quite like and it's, it's always going to be there and some people say, oh, Mason Group, his price is it's completely based on like sand. It could fall, it could drop to, to like plummet to one pound tomorrow. But if you kind of look at it and maybe if you compare him to say, like, let's say Ravel Morrison, I think if he like, what, five, 10 years ago, I mean, he would have been that type of price based on his talent type mm. of thing and everyone would have been going, oh, he's the next best thing. If you kind of actually look at the way his price would have deteriorated over time i don't think it would have been like literally go down from like three pounds to one pound no, no, you would no. have had various peaks and troughs of oh he's out of the united first team oh he's gone to west ham um oh is this his next chance let's buy into him again and then it would slowly dwindle down over time so if you kind of look at his price it's not potentially as more as volatile as other people on the index who their price is maybe based on like a contingent event happening where there's a certain player in the media a lot at the moment who, um, if he goes to Manchester United, people are saying this is his price and that's what his price currently is. But if that transfer doesn't happen, then it's suddenly going to potentially half, say, or go down like a pound. I think those type of players are actually even more riskier than Mason Green would say because the hope mm. is there mm. that he could, in theory, be the next best thing. I mean, no one's ever watched him play a good bit of time in the Premier League. We don't know. And I guess that's what the market quite likes. It's that speculative part that he could be the next best thing and no one really knows until we see some evidence. Mm. But I think even taking the football index element out of it, the vast majority of young players don't make it to the very, very top level and consistently start for the bigger teams. I mean, if you think of how many young players, obviously there are in professional you know, YTS schemes and youth teams and the under-18s, uh, 21s, 23s teams, it's only a very, very small percentage of players that make it. And um, I think in, just in terms of my trading, I like to know that players performed at that level. Uh, don't get me wrong, I can see why in terms of a, a far lower price, why you would want to hold however many of a young player, because 
if one of them does hit, you're loving life, but not many do. Mm. Uh, just just in general football, even mm. you know if you take a step back from FI. That's so right, and I think. I kind of agree with you, James, that there has to be speculation that there has to be some of those inflated prices. I think the wider general complaints or slagging off, quote unquote, of these kind of young players has been there are too many of them that are kind of high up in that price. And then maybe if you marry that up with the lack of dynamism or realism of the PB scoring uh, matrix and the lack of granularity with the MB scoring matrix maybe all of those things are kind of culminating all in one pot and creating the market that we have and maybe if FI do fix the MB scoring system do fix the PB scoring matrix maybe tiered PB is something that you can talk about as being a step in the direction where we have less of these young players that are overpriced but then from FI's standpoint James as you mentioned on the other side of the coin they don't have to pay out on a lot of these players. And there's a lot of capital invested in them. And FI can use that capital to do what they want with it. So it's kind of a very catch-22 situation for them, isn't it? I just still think it'll still be there. I mean, and I've kind of posed the argument why people are putting all this money into young players. And I, I probably fall in the category where once I get to those sort of like three, four pound marks, I'm, I'm completely moving out of them because, well, A, they've seen their growth and B, um, yeah, it's getting to the point where it's really risky. So, but I'm quite happy mm. to kind of go into that kind of like 50p to £1.50 speculative development because there is the potential for it to rise. I don't see it mm. going away. You can't really force a market to do something. Uh, you can kind of steer it, maybe increase dividends, but is that going to make everyone pile out of the youngsters? I mean, I just don't think it's going to happen. Hmm. Right. Yeah, I think we should move on to the next question uh, from You Can Analyze Too Much. Really pleased to see Soccer Index on the Foodcast. Have always found he knows his stuff. And Yavi will obviously add a bit of spice for the ratings. A couple of questions from me. One, can you win on FI without using data products? And two, what would you do if you were in charge for a day? Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, you can analyze too much. Uh, met him a few times at Trader Meet. So uh, yeah, nice to get a question from him. Can you win on FI without using data products? So I, when I first joined, I used to be all in the data um, looking you know, all this players um, scoring well. It's only a matter of time. Since maybe like January this year, I've almost taken a completely different view. I'm maybe going to sort of like my strategy in a bit, but like I tend to look at it more on a wider scale. And I think sometimes you can look into data too much. I mean, I use data a bit as a guide. I mean, there's obviously some great products out there. But if you, I prefer to almost make bets on what other people are going to make bets on. So, if you take, for example, like youth players performing well, or if you look into like transfers, um, you don't necessarily need to use a data product per se. I don't ever want to talk about that one before the second question. <laughs> Why don't you just go into the? And then second the second question, question I, think. I think, if I was FI, I would. I think the marketing team do a great job, so just let them do what they do. I'm hoping that the finance team are happy, so I'm hoping that with people like. I mean, we saw that 50% of people instant sell and they seem to be making a good bit of money out of this. So I think FI need to make sure they're making money. And then the third thing is basically I would just come up with a list of what pisses people off <laughs> and, mm. and then, you know, get that fixed. So there's so many things like dividends being paid on time, opt-to-gate and change, changes to players' positions, um, like the comms maybe not being right and making the product more savvy. I think. If you just got almost just got a list of what 
annoys people and try to sort that out and let the marketing team and the finance team do their jobs, I think life would be so much better or easier for the people at the top. I think for me, can you make money without data products? Yes, you can. I would say uh, definitely. I think over the last, um, this isn't necessarily speaking for myself. You know, I think the people who got in in the early days probably didn't necessarily have those data products. And you know, as I go back to the graphs of, of some of the players or a large number of the players, you know, they have increased just by natural growth. But I would say that you can make more money with data products. It's great to have the. I mean, index gain is brilliant. It goes without saying in terms of setting up your portfolio and your lists and that sort of stuff in just being able to monitor in a far more structured way. And I think like just going back to my trading at the very beginning, it was just a case of it was very, very random and scattered. And you know, I check individual players' price movements um, myself every, you know, every few hours. You know, it's just the completely wrong way to go about it if you're actually wanting to be on the platform and wanting to look at a lot of players in, in terms of you know day or week or month uh, price movements and stuff like that. So I'd say, yes, you can without them, but you can, you know, data is power and not sound too cliche. You can definitely win more and bigger um, if you have more knowledge of and have the data to hand. I definitely agree with James when it comes to the, if we're in charge for with FI for a day, um, the tech issues are, 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 will always make the most noise. Negativity will always make the most noise. And addressing those issues is key and addressing those will quicken growth and quicken, well, it will retain the customer base that they have now and encourage the customer base to invest more. But when new joiners come onto the platform, they're going to be less exposed to those issues and that their faith in the product is going to be pretty solid from day one rather than you know having to hear about opt-to-gate and position changes and dividends not being paid out on time and things like that. And yeah, and based on that, you've got a good foundation to accelerate the marketing and go from there, really. Mm. I think uh, I probably answered most of the second question with a chat we had about the PB score and matrix, et cetera, earlier. So we'll move on to the next bit. Football Index Focus FI. Oh, who was this? Was it FI Lamblings, Lambings or Football Index Focus? I think it was both of them. Yeah. Good lad, FI Lambings. So. Uh, was it? Which one was it? Well, whoever it was, thank you very much for the question. <laughs> there are many ways to make money on the index right now. How would you describe your current strategies and why do they work for you? Very, very, very like wide question, but why don't you have a crack at so answering it, Jim? I'd say I've got quite, so say since January, I've got more of a, a unique training strategy where traditionally, if you're, say, making a bet on the outcome of a football match, you're betting on an outcome happening, so you're betting on a player to score a goal or in FI you're betting on a player to make a transfer. What I have kind of like looked to do since January is almost making a bet on what people will make a bet on. So if we kind of look at maybe say Mm. January, just after the window, I was looking at players that could potentially transfer in the summer. So what I I kind of would do is I would get in right at the start of that market cycle, buy quite a lot of that player, and I'm making a bet that in the future that other people will also make that bet on that transfer happening and then at that point i will then kind of go thank you very much i've had my capital growth out of this i'm not going to actually wait on the outcome of that if we look maybe like last year i had because i learned from this so i had maybe a lot of money in sms uh, milinkovic savic who was obviously performing super well for lazio in january you kind of thought 
oh, he's going to go on to the World Cup. He's going to, and he was getting so many links to Man United and bigger clubs. So again, I put a lot of money into him in, say, February. And then you go into June and July, and he's not quite that performance in the World Cup, but you're like, you're seeing the Man United links and you're kind of holding out for that extra sort of like 10 to 15% and the potential media buzz off the back of that. And then what happened was his price did really rise to the middle of the summer. And then it slowly started to trickle off because that transfer never happened. And I kind of learned why wait around for the last 10% of my winnings when I'd made that bet in January that he was going to perform really well. I've uh, kind of at that point, I'm like, that's my profit. I'm happy with that. On to the next one. Mm. So what I've done a lot with like transfers this summer is that I'm largely out of those players now because I'm not really interested in the last 10% of the profit that might come off with a certain player transfers to Man United or Liverpool. I've kind of bet at the start of January that that was going to happen. Got a lot of capital growth out of it. And I've now moved into, I'm now betting on what people will move money into from a performance perspective, from an IPD perspective. So I bet that people are going to now, in the next couple of months, move into those type of players. So I kind of make a bet more on what Mm. other people are going to bet on in the future. So that's kind of the way I've now started to kind of structure how I play it. The other side of, so I'd say that's largely what I do. And then whenever making another kind of investment in a player, I look for what's called like, say like an asymmetrical risk, where basically the upside of a player is so much greater than the potential downside of a player. So I'm always looking for basically a player that can give me multiple wins. So there's loads of ways of winning on this platform. So what's kind of like perfect, I would say, is you get the, sort of like Nicolas Pepe of last season, who's young, he's starting for a, you know, a French team where like Lille that give players, young players chances. He's got a great chance of uh, winning dividends, lots of like Friday night games. He's got loads of opportunities for dividends at the start of the season. And if that comes off, then like he's going to then naturally get transfer rumours and everything else off the back of that. So I'd say I'd massively focus on players that have got so much more of an upside gain to what they could potentially lose. So if a player's kind of at their peak price, so to speak, I'm not going to wait around for dividends. I'm going to move out. And so that's how I've looked at it since sort of like January. And it's it's been a lot more successful for me. Yeah, I think in a, in a growing market, it, you can't really uh, argue with that strategy. I'd probably say it's been all over the place, <laughs> to, 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 to be completely honest. Um, main reason is, so like I'd probably say in, the last couple of months, last two to three months, especially when um, uh, Media Buzz, uh, the Summer Media Madness incentive promotion kicked in, I fully geared my portfolio towards that. And it's not done as well as I thought it would do. Some of the returns on the dividends have been really good, but the players who I've backed haven't necessarily been in the top five as often as I'd have liked them to be. And mm. I'd say in terms of a three-year bet, that's a very, that's a very short-term strategy of a, of a month or two and it's a very, very volatile place to be. I've very recently tried to, to diversify even more so and go for players who, first and foremost, again, it, my trading is very emotive. I need to see the player play first and foremost and know that they're going to have a future. Or when it comes to the mid to top range, that they're performing consistently well there and they're going to be able to do it over the next year or two. I've de-risked I'd say more so and gone away from the media buzz, although I still do hold some of those players and look towards the start of this season. In terms of players, the consistent players such as the Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane, 
type players that you know are going to be ready for the Euros, touch wood, barring injury, and who are going to consistently be called upon in Champions League games and in um, Premiership games. And they're going to attract the media attention. They're going to score goals and new traders coming in will be drawn into those players because obviously they're big names. So from my point of view, I've tried to diversify as much as I can. And I can't believe I've actually gone this long without actually mentioning Richarlison. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, he is a hold of mine, as Twitter and, will and know. Just about on an hour, on, hour, uh, an hour <laughs> Can you believe that? You know, I, try, I tried to hold heard. off. I thought, can I get the whole pod without mentioning it and disappoint the whole of the Twitter world? But there are lots of players out there who play, who there is value, who seem to have gone under the radar, you know, more than anything. And I, and I do think he's one of them. I'm probably going to get hammered mm. for the shameless pump. But if you see my Twitter, you, know, <laughs> you can barely miss it. And it'd be great, Yavi, if you could tie in the next question into the next part of your answer from FI Bielsa. Does Yavi feel that he misses out on money-making opportunities due to shunning trading styles that don't fall in line with his own views, particularly with the youth trend? Seems that he is bitter and rude towards anyone who doesn't adopt his style. Look, I'm not going to be completely blind to the fact that if I say that I'm not going to invest in youth at all, then I'm going to potentially miss an opportunity. But I've, I've also consistently said that I would rather see the player play at that level, perform at that level at a young age, and then allows me to think, okay, they're going to have a future than just blindly necessarily back a player who's had no games at that level, no goals, and most of their work is done in the Under-17 World Cup. You know, I'm not going to name any players, but I'm, I'm sure you can imagine who those players are. By not making a bet on that player, I'm making a bet that he's not going to succeed. And only time will tell who's right and who falls on it. As for being rude on Twitter, I mean, look, we're all grown men here. You need to take Twitter with a pinch of salt. It's full of people like myself who are going to try and get a reaction. Some people will love that. And you'll be like <laughs> Marmite and you know others It will put people off. Everyone has the freedom to be able to block and to mute and to, or to not rise to it or to ignore it. It's a choice. It's not like I'm in their living room shouting at their parents or anything like that. It's a case of, you know, I don't like <laughs> someone, I don't follow them and, and vice versa. And I've got people who like my style and, you know, are entertained by it. And I've got people who, who hate <laughs> me, which, you, you, you know, you, you can't please all of the people all of the time. If I please like a fraction of those people, then great. But it's all fun and games. But one thing I'll say on the Twitter subject, like me calling somebody a bellend, for example, <laughs> you know, that, that to me, that isn't, you know, people see that as getting personal. Look, you'll never see me or you'll, I think you'll never see me say something about somebody's nationality or their race or, or, or you know, to me, that's personal. To me, that's overstepping the mark. But if I call somebody a bellend, I've been called so much worse than that. And it's just like, look, come on, are we that sensitive? We've got a president who's, you know, starting wars for no reason. Are you really concerned about me calling somebody a bellend on Twitter? <laughs> I hope that answers Sorry. it. Sorry, I just loved, I just loved uh, you comparing yourself to Trump. I think I, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to retract <laughs> the uh, the Trump comparison, but I, I meant in that the the effect that it has on the world, <laughs> just rather than a a. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know where you were going with that one, yeah. if I'm totally honest. Uh, I think it's probably high time we move on to the next question. Football MDJ, how's Media Madness going for both of you so far? Do you think it has been a successful promo for FI or would you have spent the summer marketing budget? I think there's two things. So we've got the Media Madness and then we've also got the, the kind of uh, deposit or net spends bonus, which is kind of going on at the same time. As I kind of said, the Media Madness, I kind of, 
I largely use that as a point to exit quite a few of certainly some of the transfer holds um, that I've got. I also hold quite a few of the, the maybe premium players, which I just kind of have in my portfolio um, and don't really look at and uh, just let, let them kind of do their thing over the course of like, yeah, one, two, three years. I'm, I've kind of just got them there to, I think everyone should really have benefit from having those players and just not looking at them. I think it's been a success. I think what they needed to do was keep the interest and keep people's money and in the platform and the interest in the platform. And I think with those two things, I kind of still look at what's going on on football index player prices, probably more than I do in the season um, at the moment, just because of uh, all the activity that's going on. So I think it's good. And I prefer that type of thing to the, I don't even remember from like the World Cup or like Christmas where you have like a one in a thousand chance of winning like an iPad and then you're just fuming, but you haven't won it. Um, so I prefer the, the, the bonuses that are, everyone benefits from so i've got no complaints with the way it's going and i guess you can't really laugh with it uh, you can't really complain when it's uh nothing but aubergines and rockets every day with uh you kind of uh your balance going up every day so i'm not complaining at all i'd say same for me as well i think it's it's been great to knit the days of um no premier league football or non-league football and just keep the interest going i'd say there's i mean we're only two weeks in but i'd, I'd add that there's been a lot of players who so far, you wouldn't have expected to have the limelight as much as they've had, such as you know players like Delict and stuff like that. But there's a long way to go, and I think by the end of it, we'll have a solid set of data as to obviously from FI side in terms of how it's been for them and the profitability for the product, and how it's been in terms of the amount of dividends. I mean, I think I, I saw a tweet by them to say that they've they paid out is it 300k? Is that a number that springs to mind that they've they've paid out so far? Yeah, I, 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 saw I did not signs, see yeah. that one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of money in a pretty short space of time. So with the number of weeks coming up, it's a good chance to make money. I mean, my in terms of strategy and that, from that side of it, I'll, I'll be reinvesting the dividends that I get slightly lower down in terms of the premium youth players. But no, I think it's been I think it's been great just to keep things going until the football season does come back. I'd say. Are you guys looking forward to the end of June with the the impending bonuses? I think it's going to be a rocky because I think a lot of people will take money out. And obviously that will affect prices. Now, I think the hope is for FI is that they've generated enough interest by then that people just keep their money in for the new season because it's not, it won't be that far away at that point. But no, I think, it, again, to encourage people to have the money in in the off-season is key for the platform and key for keeping our interests up in, in that time with no, with no European, shall we say, uh, first-team major tournament. I wouldn't be surprised if they've got some sort of rabbit it yeah, rabbit in a hat or something up their sleeve to keep that money in the platform. I think, yeah, if it stayed as it was, those first few days in July could potentially be quite rocky with people looking to, you know, sort of abuse the deposit bonus if you like. But if you look at all the previous deposit bonuses, I've kind of been tempted to, yeah, I've got a great bonus or let's take money out. But if you look, and especially with July and August, how it was last season and how it was January, I think if you kind of take your money out sort of at the start of July, you could be looking at yourself in September and going, oh, why have I done that? I think it could be the most crazy couple of months we could yet have sort of July and August. They've trebled the marketing budget. I generally think we could see lots and lots of new users and lots of excitement going into the new season. If they did something, I don't know, around the dividends or reacted with the matrix and put that in place in July, I, I think... We could be more excited than we think. 
Yeah, I agree. I think July and August are going to be like amazing months for Football Index. I think you're right. People who do take money out at that point are going to maybe regret it in the midterm. But maybe some people have just planned to do that from the very start, if that makes sense, to, to have that bonus and then just get back that couple K or whatever it is and then just bank it. But we'll move on to the next question. John Rennick, Soccer Index, really like him. He's usually got a very good grasp on the market from my experiences of him. Ask him what he thinks the next big trends will be in the next six months or so. You've, you've kind of touched on these, James, already, but why don't you uh, go in a bit more depth? Yeah, good lad again, John. Yeah, regular, he's quite funny on uh, Twitter at times, isn't he? So I think he, he was trying to lobby to get on the uh, get on the cast, wasn't he? Uh, so we'll maybe wait and see on that one. <laughs> Over down the line. Yeah, so in terms of market trends, obviously a lot of people have put money into transfers at the moment. I think the ones that are particularly kind of useful or I'd be looking at the moment are the ones that maybe people haven't thought about or don't necessarily have the move priced in. So I would be looking at players that maybe have issues with their contracts or their agents have maybe been floating them about a couple of months ago and kind of gone under the radar or potentially players that are really good for match day dividends at their current club, but they could be even better. So I think that the real, like in the immediate future, that's where a lot of value is in terms of the market. As we move on and go into next season, I've, I've kind of said I've been preparing that for that by there's a lot of unfancy performance players who have always delivered dividends, but sort of from February onwards, their price started decreasing as people were moving out of those type of players into transfer and media mm. holds. So I think they, their price is kind of bottomed out in around about the start of this current deposit bonus period. And that's when I've started to, in particular, put money into those because I believe that that's where the money is going to go um, July and August. So a lot of players who've delivered dividends in the past and could, are going to be fancied at the start of the season, I think we're going to see a lot of money flow into them. And that's where the market will go next. In terms of other players, other things that I think, I think IPD players, um, football index increased IPDs quite a bit comparatively on the share split. So, for example, like Keeper getting, they get the same dividend, don't they, for a clean sheet as they did before before the shares, but they're worth a third less in price. So they effectively kind of trebled the payout there. And then the payouts for sort of defenders, goals and assists, FI did really increase the potential returns that you could make off them. And you see people on Twitter, and I had a bit of a go myself towards the end of the season, there was a lot of value there. But what happened was the season ended, so people were moving out of those players. And I think a lot of those players, in particular goalkeepers and also sub kind of 75p defenders who can maybe score and assist and kind of got proven returns from that perspective, I think they could see a lot of value in terms of people buying into them and potential gains to be made from IPD dividends. So I would say a lot of money could flow that way. And people will start to click on that that's potentially a very profitable strategy. And the last thing I would say is that with all the new users as well, it would be difficult to avoid kind of exciting kind of match of the day players. I know last season you kind of saw someone who had Declan Rice or Morgan Gibbs-White or someone would have, they would look good on match of the day um, through no, no reason or other and money would absolutely just pile <laughs> into them. And I have no, no idea why. So I've kind of looked at players that are exciting or who could potentially go up just because they look good on match of a day. 
So I think that's one to look out for because um, you're just going to get a load of crazy rises at the start of the season. Definitely. Uh, Yavi, do you want to talk to us a bit about what you think the next six months have got to got in store for us in terms of big trends before we uh, round off the podcast? I think the closer we get to the, the season, I can see and I hope the top end increasing. I know this is a hot topic again on Twitter about the top end of the market and so on and so on. And, you know, I think, again, from a new user standpoint, it does need to look uh, on the face of it. The top end is green and it's it's going up because I think, from again, from a new user standpoint, the last thing you want to see is you come on the platform and you just see the top falling down. And I think James is also right in terms of preparing for PB players now whose cap value has decreased over the last few months because of people like myself going into MB far more so and transfer speculation players and and properly preparing for that over the next six months. So yeah, there's lots of players that I think there's obviously going around on Twitter that you can see that their prices have massively fallen off a cliff up until the end of the season. So it's picking the I think it's a case of picking those players up now, um, ready for the new season rather than potentially waiting until I'd say, you know, the end of July, beginning of August, when you could have potentially missed the boat on them. Yeah, I completely agree on the um, premium players as well. If we're getting all these new users in, it's not good that the premium players are potentially all kind of dropping in value. But as we've seen in the past, it's only a matter of Mm. time before they will have their day again. And I'm pretty confident that, yes, something could happen where we're going to see those premium players start to get a lot more interest in them. And I think even people will start to look at, towards Euro 2020 as well. That could be a final trend, if you like. Mm, I think with the premium players, the premium assets or whatever you want to call them, there's definitely this thing where even though they're, you know, six, seven pounds, whatever, they will still return 20 times more dividends than some of those players that are like two pounds. And the price difference is less than 4x there, if that makes sense. So there are so many players that they are going to outdo dividend return wise over and over and over and over again. But in terms of how much more expensive they are, they're not actually that much more expensive comparatively to those players. So I think we could actually see a squeeze soon where we see those premium players rocket, whether it's due to the bonuses, whether it's due to a massive influx of new users. Whether it's due to, you know, we talk about Pogba staying at Man United or Neymar starting the season really well with PSG, whatever, whatever actually factors into those players that are kind of like four or five quid or upwards, we could see a big boom in them. I think that's definitely a, a trend to look out for in the next six months. And it definitely will generally happen when we go through these massive um, rises. If you look back at January where we had the, the last massive influx of users, that was a period where we had crazy big rises, right? I think um, it was just after Mourinho had left United and Pogba started playing really well. His price just kind of ballooned, didn't he? He went from £10 to £20 or whatever it was in the in the old money. Yeah. So I think we're going to see maybe not as much in terms of like, you know, penny up movements, but I think that will certainly be a batch of players in that kind of vicinity that will rise. But I think, guys, we've gone, you know, 80 minutes or so here, so I don't want to take any more time out of your lives and I don't want to bore listeners anymore. So (laughs) I really want to thank you both for coming on. Uh, Yavi, honestly, I'm not going to lie, man. I didn't think you'd sound like that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, mate. I think that's a compliment. I think it is. Where can people find out more about you? They can catch me on Twitter at um, Yavi Shah. They'll get a whole load of uh, Football Index-related opinions. Uh, Some they'll like, some they'll dislike. 
again, I'm not above being called out for my bullshit. So, you know, your, your, your opinions are more than welcome, but you'll get it back. But no, it'd be good to engage on a intellectual and banter and those sort of levels, as well as just uh, calling people bellends. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm at Soccer Index on Twitter. Um, a little bit less outspoken than Yavi, but uh, yeah, always I'm very always good at uh, debate, football, so, index yeah. on football quizzes. <laughs> yeah, I look forward to <laughs> yeah, next seasons. We've got it in the bag, haven't we? I hope you're revising on your uh, standardly aged badges. Yeah, again. was that the one that we didn't get in the end? Yeah, that was. Yeah, that yeah, was. Yeah, no, we won the bad round. We've our Gar- beautiful. Uh, Gareth Bale signed home, I hope it's hung up somewhere. Uh, if you guys haven't subscribed <laughs> to the podcast yet, please do so. If you have subscribed and you haven't left a review, then what are you waiting for? Please do do leave those five stars if you enjoy the show. If it gives you some value from a football index standpoint, week in week out. If you guys are commuting on your way to work i hope this makes it a little less grueling or on your way back from work and if you're not commuting do whatever you're doing i hope you've really enjoyed the podcast and you know sorry we didn't get to answer all the questions i think there was like 50 60 70 questions overall so it was madness and we only went through about eight or nine so i really do apologize but we don't want 10 hour podcasts do we thank you very much for listening and uh, have a great day <laughs> <laughs>